Greetings, honorable battle brother. Brother. Today, today we talk about the word bearers. Today it's time to get religious. We are going to get absolutely fervent. Because today is the Lorgar episode. First, a reading from the Book of Lorgar. All I ever wanted was the truth. Remember those words as you read the one that follow. I never set out to topple my father's kingdom of lies from a sense of a misplaced pride. I never wanted to bleed the species to its marrow, reaving half of the galaxy clean of human life in this bitter crusade. I never desired any of this, though I know the reasons for which it must be done. But all I ever wanted was the truth. Have mercy. Have mercy, my brother. What a fucking nerd. <laughs> we haven't even Lor brought up Erebus yet. <laughs> Lorgar Aurelian. Son of the Emperor. This, the, I guess you could call him the softest. The softest Primarch. Like, emotionally speaking. Ah. Uh. He was very... He wasn't confrontational. He wasn't... Uh, aggressive by any means. Um, what he was was very manipulative. Manipulative? Um, which is ironic because he is the Primarch that got manipulated the most. So, let's talk about the beginning of Lorigar's life. Mm -hmm. Lorigar crashed, you know, after everything that happened. We've talked about it before. Lorigar crashed on a planet called Colchis, and... Colchis was in the middle of a religious, uh, religious-steeped civil war. It was crusade and whatnot uh, across the entire planet's surface. And he landed, and he he grew up in a cult. It was essentially a chaos cult, from what I understand, from what I remember from Corferon's speaking of the cult. Um, but... Anyways, the cult was dismantled very soon after him because Lorgar, once he grew to his full Primarchness, um, became the leader of the sect, faction, whatever you want to call it, and created his own cult of what essentially was the Emperor. Before he even knew who the Emperor was, he just knew who his father was. He had the impression that he was this golden god, this... Uh, ruler of all mankind, this deity born. Uh, and so he led his followers in a crusade across Colchis, um, following this covenant. Um, and he would spread this with his adoptive father, Corferon, and all of his followers. I would just uh, like to mention something briefly about Corferon, sure. because I just pulled up Lexicanum. Um, Lorgar wasn't named by Corferon, first of all. Lorgar was named by, um, basically a bunch of wastelanders. Um, the, chief, the chieftain of a bunch of wastelanders named Fan Morgal. And they named him Lorgar because when he fell out of the sky, um, when they watched his pod fall out of the sky, it started raining after he fell because when the pod entered the atmosphere, it reacted with it, I guess. Disturbance, yeah. Yes. So they called him Lorgar, which means Rainmaker. Uh, Corferon hmm. found him exactly 17 days, according to Lexicanum, after um, Lorgar landed. 
He was already a, basically, he was the size of, like, he was walking by this point, after 17 days of living with Fan Morgal. Lorgar found him, well not Lorgar, Corferon found him, who at the time was apparently exiled. And, um, basically Corferon found him and was like, hello little boy, would you like to learn about the truth? And then Lorgar as a tiny child was like, I would love to learn about the truth. And so Lorgar followed him into his um, um, not unmarked van. Yeah. And um, while Lorgar was busy with um, Corferon's many books, um, Corferon killed the entire tribe. Yeah. 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 Corferon, you'll get the theme pretty quick. Corferon's not a great dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very obvious from a very early stage of this that Corferon manipulates um, Lorgar the entire time. Mm-hmm. There's another point in here that I find funny. Um, it takes, so you mentioned that Lorgar and Corferon go on a crusade for the One. Um, yes. Corferon doesn't believe in the One basically until Lorgar becomes huge. Yeah. And saves his life. It's like not it's like it's it's a literal come to god moment, I uh-huh. guess you could call it. Yeah. Because you're he was just a non-believer until he was given direct evidence that uh-huh. everything Lorgar was saying was correct. Uh-huh. And that took apparently a rebellion. Like there was a like Corferon basically Corferon brought Lorgar back to the main church of Colchis, the churches of Colchis, and then Lorgar uh, basically, we will we will discuss more of this later. But basically, Lorgar became Corferon's whipping boy. Yeah, and uh, the people didn't like that, so there was a rebellion where they tried to kill Corferon, and Corferon's life was saved by Lorgar, who loved Corferon deeply because that was his father. Yeah, and because of that. Only after that did Corferon even remotely entertain the idea of the One. Which is ironic, because Lorgar's very being, you know, Mm -hmm. a 12-foot-tall superhuman who grew at an exponential rate would be proof enough for me to believe (laughs) in whatever that motherfucker was saying. Like, Like, imagine one day you meet, like, a child. And that child has been around for exactly 17 days and is somehow already a better speaker than most of the Wastelanders who surround him. Yeah. And then in like a month, that guy is seven feet tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 800 pounds of like raw force. Right. Like raw charismatic force where somehow he he shows up and he's immediately better than you at preaching which is the thing you've devoted yourself to your entire life yes um after exactly what you were just talking about corferon save uh lorgar saving corferon's life during this mutiny um lorgar uh is named the bearer of the word and everything is sort of restructured in their religion uh Lorgar is the top dog. Uh, mm-hmm. He is the leader of Colchis. Uh, he creates this army of gods sworn, basically religious fanatics, 
uh, and secures the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, he unites Colchis. Colchis is a fucking wasteland. Like we, like you were saying before, Colchis is not worth fucking killing and dying for a century over. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he had to unite the world to lead into a glorious new age, and that new age um, would come eventually. The Emperor would eventually arrive um, after civil war after civil war. Um, there were a lot of, like I said, like proto-chaos worshipping religions on Colchis. Um, like, I remember in the first three books of the Horus Heresy, um, they the Serpent Lodge that they bring Horus to, um, Erebus states that it was very similar to the old way, the old way of Colchis. So they were they were all fucking worshipping the Chaos Gods, is what yeah. they were doing. And because uh, of that, so I just want to point out something else that's funny over Lexican. So when Lorgar basic Lorgar starts having visions about like before the Emperor shows up, Lorgar starts having these visions about the Emperor. A warrior in golden armor coming out of the sky, accompanied by a a cyclop a giant cyclops with blue robes. And he believes in it so hard that he begins to create a new he begins to start openly and vehemently prophesying about how the god of cultures will come to unify us all. And because of that, another civil war breaks out. Right. Between the old faith and what they're start calling the Brotherhood of Lorgar. And they called this period the Schism Wars? Yeah, which is exactly that. It was a split of the religion. Yep. Which is funny, because the religion was not really unified to begin with. Right. It was like, there were multiple factions, and then all these factions joined together to create what was called the Covenant. Yes. The Covenant, specifically, is known to split into four directions. Like, four main groups become the Covenant. Right, which is weird yes. because, like, in real life, that would be the that would be the same thing as Catholicism, uh, and every and branch of Christianity, every ever, branch of Christianity, all sitting, sitting down at a table, room. yeah, and not uh, and agreeing with each other on anything. Right. Um, yeah. So, like, <laughs> like we're saying, the event eventually the emperor would come um, yeah. with Magnus the Red, just yep. as, just as was pro- pro- prophesized by Lorgar. Um, and he'd bring the Imperial Heralds to meet Lorgar. Ironic that they were already called that, because they had some manner of themselves at which they were very good at not proselytizing, because that has a religious connotation, but they were very charismatic space marines. They, they were very devoted to spreading the Imperial truth. There is no gods in the sky above, but the science of mankind, and, uh... The Emperor will lead you to that salvation. Um, Lorgar took that and ran with it. Lorgar took the Imperial Heralds and renamed them the Word Bearers. As he was once the bearer of the word of the Emperor, so too would his gene sons. Lorgar would join the Great Crusade, uh, and the Emperor would be very quick to write off all of Lorgar's statements about him being a divine being. He states, you know, the Imperial Truth states that there is no gods. I am not a god. Please stop calling me a god. 
but he would sort of just leave it at that. Uh-huh. He wouldn't really go as far as yelling at Lorgar or punishing him for believing this. But, you know, he'd just, hey, that's not true. Stop saying it. And then he just sort of ran away. <laughs> just like, like... You have come. I have spent years prophesying your return, but finally you have come to show your golden beneficence to us all. Oh, mighty new god of cultures. Look, Lorgar. Lorgar Aurelian, my son, please stop calling me a god. It's weird, and I don't like it personally. At once, your beneficence. He, the emperor walks away. You see? Only a god, a true god, would deny his divinity in such a calm and hand-waving manner. This is why he is worthy of worship. Is that not right, my children? And the crowd goes nuts. Have you ever seen, this is a segue, a tangent, but have you ever seen The Life of Brian, the movie by Monty Python? I'm telling you, he's not, I'm telling you, I'm not the son of God. He is the son of God. (laughs) Worship the gourd. Yes. (laughs) Everybody who hasn't seen that movie, please look it up. It's yes. it's old. It's old British humor. Yes, but it's it's worth it's watching. It's the be- any most of Monty Python is great. Yeah, um, right. Okay, continuing. Um, Lorgar, while being not stubbornly, but fanatically so, adherent to his own religion that he made himself about a different person, mm-hmm. um, he wrote a book. He wrote a Bible. The Lactitio de Nivitatis. Um, it was the first book of Lorgar. Um, he'll update it later, after a couple things happen, and yeah. it'll be a little different, but this was a good first draft. Yes. And of uh, course, as I'm sure you know, there are multiple... The, the new... The new Chaos Edition... The There's the original translation, the NCV version of the Lactitio de Nivitatis, the simplified, the new low gothic version that was simpler, or make a joke about editions of the Bible. Yeah, it's like different reprints of the Bible. Yes, only and- only in these reprints, uh, the later editions are a lot more tentacly, yes, covered in blood and uh, of living skin. Yes. Um. So the imperial cult was established, mm-hmm. worshiping this book, Lorgar dispersed it willingly and abundantly to his sons and his sons would disperse it to the humans of the worlds that they um, brought into compliance and cult um, churches of the emperor would be built on all of these planets that the word bearers brought into compliance and it's very hard to proselytize an entire or uh, civilization of humans um, so the word bearers weren't exactly Fast. They weren't exactly banging compliances out one, two, three, four. Like the someone like uh, like the Sons of Horus or the Luna Wolves at that time. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't and anyone else. Yeah, they Literally were just anyone. You know, pretty much everybody. They were yeah. like the slowest of the slow yes. because they were taking the time to rebuild the infrastructure yes. and introduce the religion one step at a time and talk to instead of like. Like how, you know, the Imperial Fists or the Salamanders would do it, where they'd bulldoze everything and then build it back better. They would take the time to be like, we shouldn't bulldoze it unless we do, unless we have to. Just drop pots coming out of the sky. Excuse me! Brethren of planet, Imperial planet number 5,821, have you heard the good news of the Emperor? 
and then they would take the time to slowly introduce it into the culture. Yes. The word bearers, if anything, were very respectful. Um, I'm going to say this very hesitantly, so bear with me. Mm-hmm. The word bearers were very respectful of other cultures. They were not respectful of other religions. So oh. if your culture was incredibly devoted to worshipping a snake god, for instance, uh-huh. they would murder every single priest of this snake religion and and punish the people of the world as long as they held on to those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Their culture was respected. Their religion was wrong in their eyes. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird duality of not really listening to the people that you're conquering uh, and then forcing your ideas down their throat. Uh-huh. Uh, but the Great Crusade would continue. Uh, Lorgar would have his own inner circle of trusted sons and advisors, Corferon, his adopted father, um, chief amongst them. Oh, we Corferon... should mention that. Corferon became a technical space marine. <laughs> Corferon became a technical space marine. Uh-huh. And now you might be asking, how the fuck does somebody almost become a space marine? Well, Corferon was like like 65 uh-huh. when the Emperor came. And, you know, Lorgar didn't want Corferon to just die of old age or whatever. Uh-huh. So he gave through a very, you know incredible and miraculous surgery, he was implanted with, like, a third to a half of the implants that a space marine gets, Mm -hmm. and given Terminator armor Mm -hmm. to walk around in. So he wasn't a space marine, but he was mutated to the point of superhumanness, just not all the way, because the full transition would have absolutely melted him and killed him. Yes. People, being a space marine is fucking difficult. This tangent time. Uh, brief question. How many organs does it take to be a space marine? Ooh, good question. I think there's, I think there's additional five you, or six. You get extra lungs, you get a you poison get, gland, you get yes, the ability you, to eat people's brains and learn stuff. Yep, you get, uh, an extra lung, no, yeah, an extra lung, an extra heart, um, your bones are hardened, your uh, omophagia, I think they call it. That's what allows you to spit acid and um, eat, consume flesh to learn memories of it. Uh, there's more. I'm just struggling to remember. There's a lot of horrifying science that ha- goes into making a space marine. Yes. Which is why when people go recruiting for space marines, they exclusively can't recruit from people below the age, or like above the age of 13. Yeah, pretty much. So most every space marine that you see was trained from the age of 13 to however old they are now, not even to just be a space marine, to survive the implantation process. And then at the end of all of the organs, they get this thing called the black carapace, which is what allows them to enter, which is what the black carapace is like a second layer of muscle. Yep. That is what allows them to interface with their armor, so that way they don't have all those, they don't have any kind of wonky controls or anything. It's interfacing directly with the nerves. It's a skin suit that yes. lets them click into their armor. Yes. Which, needless to say, would be incredibly difficult to implant in a 60-year-old man. 
Yeah. Who was already, you know, yeah. on its way out, because they lived in a literal Mad Max world. Um, yeah, so Corferon was there. Corferon became the first captain of the Word Bearers, um, and he was a confidant, uh, as well as ch- uh, first chaplain Erebus. Boo! Edit in Every- some boos. Boo! Evident- everybody boo. Everybody boo for Erebus. Nobody likes Erebus. It is all literally Erebus's nobody fault. likes in the book. Nobody yeah. likes Erebus. It's not just us. It's no, not there just is the collective one person. There's one person in 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 Betrayer. No, not Betrayer. First Heretic. There is one person who didn't like Erebus at the beginning of the book, but likes Erebus at the end of the book, or no, like halfway through the book, and it's uh, Chaplin. Ooh, Zaphin, I think his name was. He was the Ar- other shitty he chaos was, dude? He was Argletal's friend, who oh. was the chaplain um, of, like, that unit. Uh-huh. Um, and at the beginning of the book, he's like, wow, Erebus is such a little bitch, and Corferon fuck, fucking sucks, too. And then after they became demon hosts, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, um, Zaphin was like, you know what, actually, they're kind of cool. Yeah, he literally had to... And become pos- nearly possessed to even remotely think of Erebus true. as a tolerable true. human being. Very true. Yep. Yeah. Um, like every but, other. Karn hates Erebus. Karn hates Karn, Erebus Karn. specifically. Karn despises Erebus. And we'll talk about like why? a lot of that interaction and why, uh-huh. but yeah. Um, but an interesting logistical note about the word bearer legion pre-heresy is that um they pretty much the the uh the officer of chaplain was a unit of other space marines chaplains were supposed to enforce the imperial truth within the confines of the legion mm-hmm chaplains of the word bearers were precisely the word the meaning of the word they were religious um they were soldiers that held a religious significance within the units mm-hmm. um so they were more respected than otherwise acknowledged in other units in other legions like you'd listen to your sergeant your captain and then the chaplain mm-hmm. So it, it's a weird hierarchy difference yes. that exists. And there were also, like, six times the amount of uh, chaplains in the oh. word bearers than there were in other legions. Oh, that sounds like a great... That sounds like a great decision for a chain of command. For Yep. Yeah, always, li- always, re- listen, always listen to the religious fanatics first. No, 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 no. Just... So, every legion had chaplains, just so I understand this. Every Ch- legion had chaplains. From what I, from what I remember... At least after Nikea, every uh-huh. legion had chaplains. I don't so, remember pre-Nikea, mm-hmm. but I know definitely after, because once the ban on um, psychers was placed, uh, then the chaplains, like, uh, in the Dark Angels books, Nemiel was a chaplain, and he got beheaded by Lionel Johnson for speaking out against the Librarius. Um, I don't mm-hmm. remember pre-Nikea, though. Mm-hmm. So, specifically, post in a post-Nikea world, the person who ensured that you weren't engaging in demonic fuckery in this atheistic, in this atheistic army was called a chaplain. Very ironic. And there was also a bunch of them, specifically in the word bearer. 
Wars. The word yes. bearer had a lot of chaplains in it. Yes. And not once was a single eyebrow raised. <laughs> like, mm, yes. There's an awful lot of guys called, like, there's an awful lot of guys known as chaplains in the word bearer's legion who are spreading this thing called the Imperial Cult. We're yeah. not religious, though. Religion is weird. Yep, definitely We're not, not religious. religious. We're not a religious organization. What? Don't be ridiculous. Definitely not religious. Hey. Yes. Well, talking about definitely not religious. Let's let's talk about the world. Um, let's talk about when uh, that all came to the head to a head mm-hmm. when it became bad. Mm-hmm. Um. So, all the while that Lorgar was doing all of this. The Emperor didn't not notice. Mm-hmm. Like, he knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. And eventually, he it all came to a head on the planet of Kerr. Mm-hmm. Kerr was the word bearers, one of the word bearers' previous conquests, and they were very proud of how they left it. Mm-hmm. They were very happy that the entire population embraced their version of the imperial truth mm-hmm. that the empire is a divine being etc etc mm-hmm. well the the planet capital of kur called monarchia was a quote unquote perfect city in the eyes of the word bearers they were very devout followers and the emperor saw this as a direct offense to himself and to what the imperium stands for and so asked the entirety of the Word Bearers Legion to report to Monarchia to uh, a meeting with Malkador the Sigilite and Rubute Gilliman. I think we touched about we touched upon this briefly with the Ultramarines episode. Yeah. yeah. But now we get to, I, we get to paint the bigger picture. Yes. So imagine yourself. On Monarchia, seeing a hundred thousand word bearers, whom you revere as angels of the Lord, mm-hmm. appearing, marching in a perfect step and parade formation outside yes. your city, to a meeting of two gigantic superhumans and a hundred and eighty-year-old man. No, 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 no. Not two gigantic superhumans. You are meeting with, in no particular order. The man who taught the 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 demigod prophet who showed you all the great imperial truth that you now all live by, True. along with one of his brothers, True. the god he spoke of, and another demigod, and another demigod, and his army. Yes. And uh, in yeah. one instant. About the first company. Yeah. The first company. A. The first company, just not 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 all of the Ultramarines, just a couple of them. Yeah. You then watch as the the like the eyes of God Himself glow. The entire army of the Prophet Demigod Lorgar is blown back and kneels, while the first while the blue armored angels just. Walk out in formation and begin murdering everyone. And as people are dying, you hear it, not with your ears, but with your mind. You hear God speak to you. And not to you, to your prophet, to the, per- to the Pope, the man who can taught you all the way. He, God speaks to the Pope and says, you have failed me. 
This place is the site of one of my greatest failures. You will learn from this as your planet is raised to the ground. As angels, beings you revered as angels, come down upon you and kill everyone to the to a man on your planet and blow up every building until there is not a single structure standing. Yeah. Yeah, Monarchia was raised by the word by the Ultramarines and mm-hmm. the word bearers were helpless but to watch uh-huh. as Lorgar was uh bitch slapped by the Emperor. Uh-huh. And he didn't take that very well. No, one would imagine that if they create Space Jerusalem. Yep. And then God comes to Space Jerusalem, points at you and says, I hate everything about this, kills, destroys Space Jerusalem, burns it to the ground, kills everyone who lived in it, and then spits on the dust as he leaves. One would not take that well. No, I, and no one could blame him. For he revered God, mm-hmm. and God physically struck him down. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but humiliated him in front of his sons mm-hmm. and the people who he cherished. Before he killed them all. Before he killed every single one of them. Uh-huh. Um, to clarify, we're talking about the population yes, of Kerr and Monarchia. the population of Kerr and Monarchia. Because, again, God... Looks, imagine God coming down to Jesus, who built, who personally oversaw the building of your city. Your city was personally overseen by Jesus. God slaps Jesus in the face with his mind, and then you watch as the angels of God kill everyone you love. Yep. And Jesus is watching and crying because he wants to help you, but he can't. Right. So all they consider, the fact that he was mad for a month is remarkably composed. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, Lorgar would steep into a deep, deep depression after this. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is important to note that not everybody on Monarchia died. In Monarchia died. Really? Really? There was exactly one survivor, from what I understand. Of I don't planet. think of the planet of the planet Kerr. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one survivor. She was a woman, uh, blinded by her witnessing of the glassing of uh, of Monarchia from orbit. Uh, she was known as the White Lady. Um, the Lady Cyrene. Cyrene Valant- Valantion was blinded by the glassing and became a confessor, quote-unquote, of the Wordbearers Legion. She was mm-hmm. basically there so that the soldiers of the Wordbearers could, like, repent and, like, like you know when you go to confes- confession... And you sit in confessional, and you list out your prayers, your wrongdoings. Mm-hmm. That's that was her role, and she mm-hmm. was sort of like Argletal's girlfriend. Ah. Uh, um, oh, I, I, yeah, I pulled up. I know what this. I know who this is now. She became like a, uh, like a priestess of uh-huh. this 
new, darker religion. Uh-huh. Speaking of, Lorgar, in his depression, started writing a new book. He was updating it, and for that, he needed to take a trip, a pilgrimage, to somewhere closer for the answers he was looking for. Uh, and you might ask, on what, what, who would tell him to go on a pilgrimage? That's a weird suggestion. I'll give you exactly two guesses. Was it Corferon? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. And? And Erebus. Both of, of them. Of course. Simultaneously. Erebus, Erebus and Corferon, followers of the quote-unquote old way of cultures, very quickly saw this as an opportunity to tell Lorgar about another way, another option, another source of divinity for him to worship. And in order to do that, Lorgar would have to take a quick journey to the Eye of Terror, where the veil between us and the heavens is the thinnest. Well, he found a lot of things in the Eye of Terror. Firstly, let's talk about Argyll Tall. I just want to mention something. You know where he yes. went specifically? Where? Cadia. Oh, yes. He went to Cadia. That's correct. Yeah. Cadia was new. No one had known about Cadia. This is not Warhammer 40,000 Cadia. This is right. Warhammer 30,000 Cadia. People this is... are just showing up. This is Cadia. This is tribalistic chaos worshipping Cadia. Yep. It's a which shit is, place. Which is ironic because of what it, it would become a bastion of imperial might. Um, just one of those, just another one of them ironies. Mm -hmm. um, so Argyll Tall was a word bearer. He was a member of the Serrated Sun chapter. Um, I believe he would get his own... Yes, okay. He was... Um, in the seventh assault company, the uh, Serrated Sun chapter, I think he was a sergeant or a captain. He was a captain. He had these really cool. I just remember this weird fact about Argoltal. He had these really cool red swords, like these red iron swords he would use, and it, they were just they were just so cool. And he would lose them in what we're about to talk about, but they just I don't know that just stuck in my head for some reason. Um, he would him and the seventh assault company would go with Lorgar to the Eye of Terror. Uh, specifically, the 7th Assault Company would do a little recon for Lorgar. They would venture a little further in, um, and Lorgar asks them to report back with whatever they find or whatever happens there, you know? Well, they find something, alright. Um, a massive demon. Uh, they're on, uh, a massive demon named Ingathel the Ascended became their quote-unquote guide through the Eye of Terror and journeys with them into the heart of the Maelstrom. They see some wacky shit. Firstly, 40 years pass for them in the Eye of Terror. They Time accelerates differently inside the Eye because that's where the warp has the most control. Mm -hmm. They experience literal fucking hell. Legitimately. Mm -hmm. The 
demon convinces them to shut their Geller field off mm-hmm. because it's the only way to quote unquote see, I guess. Who fucking knows? <laughs> the serrated son was absolutely unprepared for this. Argotel and his little band of, of misfits um, get teleported back in time to see all of the Primarchs in their incubation pods prior to the uh, defucking that spread all the Primarchs. They see all of the babies in the pods, mm-hmm. and then they, they witness the warp closing in and scatters them. They fight a bunch of demons. This is all in one book. This is in uh, Betrayer. No, First Heretic. I'm going to mix those up the entire time. Mm-hmm. They were in The First Heretic, which is one of my favorite books. Um, Argletal is such a well-written character, in my opinion. Uh, they die. They all die one by one in this in this weird time warp. But then... They come back to life, exit the exit the Eye of Terror, exit the war, and reunite with Lorgar. And they're all very confused because they saw themselves die. They saw the death of um, worlds, Eldar worlds, and themselves. And it was a very weird fever dream is what they experienced, but it was all real. It also mentions... They see some shit that happens in the, in the future. In the future as well. You're they correct. see some of Kalf. Yes. Yes, they witness. About. Yes, they witness some of the some of the uh, atrocities that they commit on Kalf. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, they all become invested, imbued with demons. Part of that pact that they made with Ingathel and all of those events is they became demon hosts. Mm-hmm. They would allow demons to enter them more or less willingly and over the course of months they would begin uh, metamorphosis so to speak. Mm-hmm. All the while I might want to mention in The First Heretic excellent book I've read very well recommended after Monarchia a unit of custodians were put uh, to to watch Lorgar to make mm-hmm. sure he doesn't fuck up again, <laughs> and that's why specifically Argoltal and his boys went in without Lorgar, uh-huh. um, because the custodians would be like, "Hey, what the fuck?" Uh-huh. Um, it is so. I think there were ten custodians uh, sent to watch, which is crazy. Um, one of 10? them, ten, uh, ten or twenty. It was a it was a single unit. Ah, uh, yes. He's like, ah, oh, uh, yes, Lorgar. This I'm putting you on a much shorter leash now. What's what's gonna happen? You know those um gargantuan annihilator dudes that I made that one of them could kill your entire legion? Uh-huh. I'm gonna leave ten of them with you. They're just gonna be around. Don't make pro- like don't look at them too long. They don't like it when you look at them too long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of them dies on Kalf when they're preparing this uh, Ingathel adventure. And they're like, oops, I guess the Kalf people don't like us very much. W- after it being very much so Argoltel, who kills the dude. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, ooh, they blamed it on the Kalfians. They're like, uh, uh, not Kalf, the Cadians. Excuse the me. Oops. It looks oops. like some people killed. Oh no, some people killed the custodian. Whatever will we do? 
Yeah. Oh yes. Oh people, well. People could kill a custodian. Normal human. No, normal humans. Yes. We've yeah. mentioned the custodians before, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, in the first yeah. episode, we'll talk yes. about them on their own. Okay. Cool. Yep. They get their own episode. They're special. Yeah. Um. So yes, the the custodians were there to to watch them. Argoltal becomes very close with the leader of the custodians. Like, they train together, they're very good friends, um, and, you know, they all kind of, they get along. They, they know that they're not really friends, they're but not they, actively they respect scared them. of the custodians. They, uh, they respect them. Yes. Um, which makes this transformation that's happening very awkward, mm -hmm. because Argoltal has to very quickly, like, run away sometimes when the, the bad is happening. Uh-huh. Um, but his... Uh, what's it called? His demon host, the demon by the name of Raum, uh, is a symbiotic relationship, which is different than any other demon host I've ever read about. I'm talking about this whole unit. The Argotal and all of the survivors became known as the Galvorbach, the Chosen Sons. They were all possessed space marines. They were the first possessed space marines. And they were very symbiotic with their demons, with their demon hosts. Uh, whereas later on, I feel like it's a more parasitic. Um, Raum and Argoltal were literal two halves of the same coin. They knew and understood each other, and they worked together um, to achieve their own ends. Um, but that being said, uh, the, Gar the Gal Vorbach and Argoltal would become very close with these unit of... Uh, custodians, and eventually uh, Argotal would also befriend Karn, Captain mm -hmm. Karn of the uh, World Leaders. Which in itself sounds impossible. Yeah, that anybody I have not would be friends. Book. That that Karn would have a person that he could speak to for longer than an eighth of a second. Yeah, yeah. Argotal knew something about the overwhelming urge. Mm -hmm. uh, because he was a demon host, he understood more about, firstly, chaos than really anybody else. Um, but he also got that animalistic urge that drove Karn. He felt that. Raum was a yeah. fucking demon. So, you know, there was there was that, that understanding between them. They bonded over them. the mutual problem of, like, you also have, like, you, do you also have a voice in your head that tells you to strangle people? It's not a voice! It's a feeling! And much like how we met, those two became best friends forever. Yeah, just like that, yeah. Um, yeah. So, with that being said, mm -hmm. Lorgar would take the knowledge Argoltal brings back. Firstly, Lorgar knew everything that was going to happen to Argoltal and his serrated son. Everything. And he sent them there anyway. So much for the caring father, right? Well, you are. No Go ahead. No, no, because well, we can talk about parallels in a little bit once I, you know, once we get the full spectrum. Well, once we get done talking about the 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 fate of Argoltal, then we can talk about parallels. Sure. Um. Argotal would reform his own chapter. He would become chapter master of a different chapter 
of he I mean this is all pretty good for a captain to ascend chapter hood to ascend to be chapter master of a different chapter he got fucking a speed new, promoted <laughs> a new chapter that he made called the sacred iron or something like that uh the vakra jal the chapter yeah. of consecrated iron consecrated iron that sounds metal as fuck and they had i remember this from one of the one of the books where they had like their own special weapons they had like weird flamethrowers that like they had like acid flamethrowers badass as fuck that is um, badass i just want to point out they don't technically exist until um istvan after the heresy right mm-hmm. you're you're correct you're right i'm getting ahead of myself right Lorgar would write this new book of Lorgar where chaos was the primacy. Mm-hmm. Ch- chaos was real. There are gods. They hate all of us, but mm-hmm. they also want all of us to worship them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Lorgar would write this new book of Lorgar and start spreading his chaplains out to preach the new word of Lorgar. Um, these would take the forms of uh, warrior lodges. They were informal kind of get-togethers where rank and, uh, you know, supremacy weren't really an issue. It was just a place for bros to be bros. Mm -hmm. And also, we could talk about this cool book I brought. (laughs) Hey, Uh, guys. Welcome to the Brethren. Welcome to the first meeting of the Warrior Lodge. Now, I know this is going to sound crazy, but today I thought we could do a little, uh, it's a little book club, you know? I just brought this book, you know? It's a nice book. It was written by uh, my beloved Primarch Logar. Let's uh, let's, let's talk about the book. And so uh, it went. We see this firsthand when Erebus goes to preach to the uh, Luna Wolves, the Sons of Horus, um, and it is Erebus that lays the seeds that we talked about in the Horus episode. Horus falling into a trap. Um, Horus getting injured with an uh, anathema. A poison blade, Horus becoming sick and needing to venture to this serpent lodge on Cadia. Horus, not that uh, they have Davin, Davin yeah. five or something like that. Davin yes, four. yeah. Um, you're right. I was about um, to say Yavin because Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and it is Erebus who lays the seeds for the sons of Horus to take formation, mm-hmm. but it is Lorgar who is pulling the strings towards something much darker and widespread. Chaplains went to every legion, not to the same degree of success, but Lorgar, through various means and cooperations and deals and agreements, would form a loose confederation of chapt- of legions that were believed to be kind of in agreement that the Emperor is a false god, mm-hmm. and the Imperium itself needs to be rocked to its core, and the only way to do so is a galaxy-spanning civil war that will leave Horus the only one capable of leading this new order of things, mm-hmm. with the new word of Lorgar to back him up. Mm-hmm. Brethren, do you have a moment to talk about the glory of the second edition of the Book of Lorgar. It's better than the first one, like all sequels. There have never been bad sequels. What are you talking about? The Book of Lorgar 2 Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) Yep. And so Uh, it was. So, Lorgar and his 
Sons would begin the planning with the other Legion's cooperations of the Istvan Five. Well, Istvan Three, then Istvan Five. Um, the word bearers were very strategically not there at Istvan Three. However, they were conveniently close by to reinforce a loyalist uh, counterattack. Weird. So, the Luna Wolves, or the Sons of Horus now, the World Eaters, the Death Guard, the Emperor's Children, would all dig in on Istvan V, waiting for the inevitable counterattack from the Iron Hands, the Salamanders, and the Raven Guard. But, I mean, the Emperor sent word out that Lorgar, Perturabo, Alpharius, Conrad Kurz, they should all be ready. They should all be there to reinforce the Iron Hand's assault, you know? Yeah. And they were. They were conveniently all stationed close by. Istvan V, the battle would kick off. The word bearers would deploy. Uh, Argyll Tal, there, ready, waiting, would be there when the flare went up. Argyll Tal turned into his demon form along with his Galvorback brethren and ripped into the Loyalist forces. The word bearers reinforcing Horus, as was the plan forever, um, would, you know, eviscerate the three loyalist forces deployed on Istvan V, and so the heresy would fully begin. The word bearers went on their way to the planet of Kalth, where the Ultramarines never expected their attack. Lorgar, with his, you know, Prissy demeanor convinced Rebute Gilliman that, yeah, now nah, everything's good. What would be bad? They all form, you know, a, a loose camp around each other. Everybody's having a good time. And then all hell breaks loose. The word bearers open fire. We talked about Kalth. Erebus would kick off the ruin storm, separating Ultramar from the rest of the Imperium, trapping the Ultramarines and the. by almost. Uh, complete coincidence, the Blood Angels and the Dark Angels, also within the Ruinstorm, separating them uh, from the final battle, yep. as Horus would sweep in all the way to Terra and begin the siege itself. Now, it's very important to understand that Lorgar was not a very good fighter. He did not have the, phys the physicality that his brothers had. He, he didn't really have anything going for him. He was, I mean, Primarch, so, like, he'd be a, 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 a pain in the ass to fight for any uh, anybody else. But, like, if the Lion or, um, you know, even a Ferris Manus... The Lion, Ferris Manus, Angron... The Wolf King, Angron... If any of them fought Lorgar, they would absolutely eviscerate Lorgar. Yeah. That is until Isvan V... When Conrad Kurz, not Conrad Kurz, when um, the other bird one, Corvus Corax. <laughs> when Conrad Corax, Kurz isn't even bird themed. He's a bat. He's a Batman. <laughs> when you know, when Con, when Corvus Corax, I almost said the wrong name again, um, was picking off word bearers and went for Lorgar himself and Conrad Kurz had to step in to intercede to save Lorgar's life, his pathetic weak life um, 
Lorgar had a little shift go on, and Lorgar screamed so loud, it it ruptured a psychic barrier and just killed everybody around him. Oh. Lorgar unlocked his abilities uh, a little too late in life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lorgar was a late bloomer. Um, <laughs> during the course of his fan five, it was evident, it was uh, very apparent very quickly that Lorgar was a very strong psyker through probably his association with the Chaos Gods, uh-huh. but Lorgar had psychic powers. So uh-huh. much so that during the Battle of Armatura, when um, Lorgar was riling up Angron for his inevitable sacrifice as a Chaos Primarch, a Demon Primarch, um, Lorgar held, I believe, held the entirety of a uh, Warlord-class Titan with his mind. Oh. He just held the body up, the foot up, from crushing Angron with his psychic powers. He was so strong, he could he could hold thousands of tons of of weight to save his brother. But, so he was stronger than Magnus. Um, that's an excellent question. Mm-hmm. I think there were different kinds of strength. Right. Magnus was very mage, was very wizard. Mm-hmm. Lorgar was very sorcerer. Mm-hmm. If you get what I the right. difference. For those of you who don't play D anD D, Magnus knows and has a very thorough understanding of what his powers are and how capable he is and the upper limitations of his powers through rigorous study and training. Lorgar is just a battery. Lorgar is innately powerful, and he might not fully understand how far that power goes or what his upper limits are, but he knows he's powerful and he knows how to point that battery in a direction that can be useful. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good uh, good uh, description. He wasn't exactly a, a wizard, mm-hmm. if you get, you know, he was very capable um, when it mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. The he would go on that whole plot. I think we talked about that during the Angron episode, where Fulgrim tried to create a demon Primarch out of the rupturing mass that was Angron. Angron's butcher's nails were legitimately killing him. So Lorgar, in an attempt to save his brother, turned him into a demon monster. You know, as any brother would. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm going to, I need to save your life quickly. I need you to touch this elephant's foot. It was made by Satan himself. Yes, yes. The only way. Um, right. But, uh, the... The word bearers would help the traitors, um, through means of summoning demons, through, uh, mass sacrifice... You know, normal things. Mm-hmm. Normal religious nut things. Mm-hmm. The Siege of Terror, Siege of Terra, would go on, and there would be uh, armies of demons summoned uh, at the Imperial Palace through the word bearers, through um, the weird plague priests of the Death Guard, uh, the weird Slaneshi paradise things that the Emperor's children would set up. It was a bad time to be a normal person. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but we need to talk about the, the resolution of the Argletal arc we set up. We do! During the battle, I believe it was Armatura. Angron, 
uh, and Lorgars deployed their legions to crack this world. It was a fortress world. It was an armory world. It was very important. Um, the Ultramarines set up deep there, mm-hmm. and so uh, through a joint, um, a joint battle, a joint force between this was the Shadow Crusade. It was the Word Bearers and the um, the World Eaters. They would yep. join up to wreak havoc and mm-hmm. to kill their way to across f- Ultramar. Yep. yep, to fuck uh, with the Ultramarines specifically. Yes. Um, the uh, Argotal and Karn, best of friends, mm-hmm. would go on their ways, killing things, fucking abs- absolutely destroying. Mm-hmm. Um, Argotal, little to his awareness, Argotal knew that through prophecy that he would die underneath um, wings, mm-hmm. the wings of an eagle, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yes. And so Arkeltal, knowing that how unlikely it was that an eagle would spread his wings anywhere, was very, you know, it's crazy. Like, Eagles was, haven't existed on this planet for the last 10,000 years. So he we'll was acting fine. like he was, he was acting like he was immortal because he was a demon host anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Arkeltal and Karn would go on their merry way, um... Lorgar and Angron would fight Gilliman. Angron would turn into a demon prince. Mm-hmm. Uncle Tal and Karn would basically kill their way through Armatura. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a regrouping, you know, Argotal, he met up with Erebus and some other units that were pinned down. Um, and Erebus, uh, knowing exactly how and when and why... Argoltal needed to die. Mm-hmm. Argoltal needed to die so that Karn would fully go off the off the edge. Mm-hmm. Karn was hanging on to a loose thread that of his humanity. His, his last human connection was, was Argoltal. They right. stood next to each other menacingly, and that was the only time Karn felt anything resembling peace. And Erebus looked at him and was like, "He means to become the champion of Karn." But this stupid friend of his is getting in the way. I know what I'll do. And so, Erebus then... Uh, brutally stabs Argotal in the spine. Oh! Underneath the gilded statue of the Imperial Aquila. Uh. On Armatura. And so, Argotal would die under the unfurled wings of an eagle. Mm-hmm. Karn, upon hearing this news did not take it well. Karn challenges Erebus to a one-on-one gladiatorial smackdown mm-hmm. back on the the, um, the World Eater's ships. The Conqueror, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Karn absolutely tears through Erebus. Mm-hmm. I listen to this excerpt every six months because of how happy it makes me. Karn, without flinching, without trying... Without saying a word. He says, I think, six words during the entirety of the fight. The first two, after he knocks Erebus down within a third of a second of the first first round of the fight, he just looks over Erebus and unimpressedly says, Get up. And smacks him down again, again and again and again. And he just says get up and he absolutely obliterates 
Erebus. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to Yeah, go ahead. I just want to point something out because I listened to it recently. Because it's on you. The this specific instance is on YouTube in a video called simply "Karn Kicks Erebus's Ass." It's a simple video. Karn is calm. Karn is described as being very calm throughout this process, which is a drastic change from every other word world eater interaction ever known. Because in every in anything that's written about the world eaters or New Syria. The world leaders in general are described as loud and violent and growling. Karn is calm the entire time, which is a deviation from how he was before and how he will be for the rest of time. Yeah. In this moment, he is not yelling. He is not angry. When he shows up, Erebus and uh, Erebus is engaging in like you know like or Erebus is like doing some sparring with the world leader. And um, Karn walks up and politely tells the other world. Erebus is gonna fight another world leader. Karn politely pushes him to the side and says, Let me. And that's the extent of it is a moment of quiet that freaks out the other world leaders. Because Karn is known the loudest, Karn is known for being loud as loud as and as scary as Angron, their Primarch. Right. And in that moment, when the loudest person you've ever met walks up to you, puts his arm in front of you and says, I'm going to fight him now. He's going to fight him now. Karn does not yell. The other world leaders do not yell. It is a quiet affair the entire time. Erebus cuts, Karn cuts off Erebus's hand. And the yes, world leaders right. are just quiet. Because they know that this fight is personal. This fight yeah. is very personal. And it is it's a good fucking segment. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, it's <laughs> worth listening to just the epilogue of that book. Yes. That. It's not very long. It's, I think it's only like eight minutes. It is like eight minutes. Audio. Eight glorious minutes. Yeah. It's definitely worth it. Um, but Continuing on to the Siege of Terra, there's some some minor things we glossed over, um, like Lorgar tries to become like the face of the this new order. He tries to take on Horus, and there's a little bit of a civil war that ignites within the traitor legions. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a very quick storyline, mm -hmm. and it doesn't it doesn't last very long. And obviously, Lorgar just basically gets humbled. Is all that really happened mm -hmm. there? Also, brief thing to mention. Uh... Lorgar, somewhere during this, before Karn, um, Lorgar brings, basically, excuse me, Angron goes home. The bit where we talk about, that we talk about in the World Eaters episode is made even more poignant by the fact that something that we did mention on the episode, New Syria, Angron's homeworld, the place where he suffered and under all of that, is one of the 500 worlds of Ultramar. Yes. So, technically... All of the shit that happened to Angron happened under Gilliman's watch. Just about, yeah. So yeah, Angron doesn't take that super well. No. Which is specifically how, that's the domino that starts the chain that leads to Angron becoming... Demon Prince. The Demon Prince, because... Yeah. Going, he, basically, we talk about in the World Leaders episode, where Angron goes back to New Syria, 
and then finds out that the legend of Angron Thalkire is he led his army to one big fight at Deshelica yeah. Ridge, and then he disappeared yes. like a little bitch. Um, yes, right. That's what he's. That's what he's. That's his legacy. Yeah, his legacy is, and he ran away and deserted his people like a little bitch. And they all died without him. Yep. He does not take that well. And, yeah. uh, he fights Gilliman immediately after killing every living person on Nuceria. Yes, yes. Not, not just, not just, not just the High Riders. Everybody. Literally everybody. Yeah, it was, it was a bloodbath. Yes. Um, but the heresy would continue. They'd come to Terra, um... They would really the only notable thing that I know of that the word bearers did during the siege, because I don't think Lorgar was there. I think he fucked off after being humbled by Horus. He did fuck off. But like Zardu Layak, which was one of the apostles of Lorgar, mm-hmm. um, was there and he helped Abaddon like teleport around. Um, I don't think they did a whole lot other than summon demons. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Oh, we wait. know it. I just want to Go point ahead. out something funny that I found out about um, the Civil War, where yep. Fulgrim basically fucks off to the Palace of Slanesh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not know that happens. Yeah. Um, Fulgrim is fuck. Uh, the word they used is engaged in debauchery with Nkar- with Nakari, the Keeper of Secrets. From uh, if any of you guys have. Played total any of the uh, yeah. So any of you guys played Total War? Hikari is a demon lord in that game. Yes, Total War Hammer Three. Yes, which is um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was happening. Yeah, we don't think about it too much. I don't want to think about it too much. Nope. But now, now that Lorgar basically fucks off to the Eye of Terror, we can talk about the parallels between him and Corferon and the Emperor. Go ahead. So, in the very beginning. Lorgar is found by a father who sees his beliefs as as wrong, as delusional. And he is abused constantly by Corferon. It mentions in Lexicanum that Lorgar is... He gets beaten the fuck out of a lot. Um, and yelled at for being wrong. Because from the very beginning, Lorgar is preaching about the One. And... One would assume that when you're, when you live in the house of the Pope of Mad Mac, the Pope of the Desert, uh, and you start talking about how there's another god out there who is the actual unifying force of the pantheon that we, that he's that your father has believed in all this time, he's not going to take it well. Lorgar lives under this for untold decades. You know, for about, a, for several decades, because Corferon is like 60-something when the Emperor shows up. Lorgar even goes so far as to protect the servants, or protect um, Corferon, when the servants rebel against Cor- rebel against him. I saw something funny that I found out from just kind of digging around, doing previous research way back when. Apparently one of the reasons that Corf- they were rebelling against Corferon is because they were abusing, Corferon was abusive to everyone. But he was abusive to Lorgar specifically, and the servants watched as Lorgar, a seven-foot-tall, charismatic demigod, the bearer of the word, was being beaten. And they said, no, we will not stand for this anymore. 
And Corfran looked at the servants and said, Lorgar killed them, and Lorgar did so without hesitation. We fast forward a bit to the Emperor showing up. Lorgar has only known one father, Corferon. Corferon the father who beat him. Corferon the father who only chose to follow, believe in his son when it was convenient. And then he meets the Emperor. The Emperor who has fulfilled every wish he has ever wanted, every vision, just by showing up. Lorgar is thrilled at this proposition, and he immediately is like, the Emperor is a god, and I am your son, you are my father. And the Emperor's like, yes, I am your father, but I am not a god. Lorgar, having learned parenting from Corferon, is like, yes, immediately, whatever you want, Dad. And then goes around preaching what he believes anyway, because he finds vindication in this moment. We fast forward some more. Lorgar takes a long time. To, Lorgar goes around killing people, doing God killing God knows how many religions all at once. Because as we mentioned, um, Lorgar believes in the culture, not the religion. So going through that, engaging crusades, slow crusades, Lorgar is slower than his brothers. He's not producing enough, and for that, he is ob he's, under he's under scrutiny. For that, he receives less attention than, say, the lion, or the lion, or, or um, Lehman Russ, or any of the other Primarchs, because he takes longer. He doesn't get as many results, but he still does get minute amounts of praise from the Emperor at certain points. Like, yes, you have conquered this world. Good job. And that's all Lorgar wanted. That's Lorgar wanted. His Lorgar wanted, Lorgar received in bare moments his god congratulating him. His father congratulating him. And so, we fast forward to Monarchia. A world that Lorgar made to be perfect. It was his gift to the Emperor. It wasn't just a perfect religious, it wasn't just a perfect city. It was his perfect city. When it was done, he was going to, he wanted to present it to the Emperor. But instead, the Emperor came and burned it to the ground, completely disregarding Lorgar's devotion, just as Corferon did for him. Eventually, Lorgar falls, eventually, Corferon, Lorgar shows this into Corferon and Erebus, blah, 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 all the stuff we just said. Argyll Tall is like Lorgar in this way. He is unquestioningly, unflinchingly devoted to his Primarch. So much so that when his Primarch says, Argletal, I want you and your legion, you and your squad, to travel into the gaping hole in space that we all know is bad, that you would know is bad instinctually by looking at it. And I want you to tell me what you find. Argletal goes, and he doesn't hesitate. And he goes, without question, without even the slightest hint of remorse, and he goes and he throws himself into it. And for his devotion, Argotal is possessed by a by Rom, a demon that Kant, that is feeding him constantly. You should kill that, like, kill them, kill, kill everyone. You, you need to start killing things. You need to kill things right now. I'm going to poke you in your spine, and you're going to feel it until you start killing things. You're going to be in pain unless you start killing things. But through it all, Argotal believes in Lorgar. 
because that's his father. Till the very end, when Ogletal is killed by Erebus, who in turn was influenced by both Lorgar and Chaos, Lorgar's new dad. Because at the end, Lorgar didn't just want the truth. Lorgar wanted the validation of God. That's what he was searching for from the beginning. That's why he was excited when the Emperor came, because he wanted validation, the validation of his, that all, the validation, the proof that all of his suffering, that all of the beatings and all of the yelling and all of that was worth something. That there was something that he could rely on beyond the moral world. And to him, to Lorgar, that was the truth. That there was something that he could lean on beyond the moral world. And there was! It just wanted to lean on him too. With A spikes. Little too much. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are very good insights. It's just cyclical. It's yeah. like in real world, in our real world, and yeah. even here, I mean, that, that broken wheel yeah. of abuse. Uh, suffering abuse and in, therefore inflicting abuse because you mm -hmm. suffered abuse and they inflict abuse because they suffered abuse. It's it's a dangerous and yep. uh, spiraling way. And it's obviously very well written because we're making the connections to our real life. You're making the connection, you're piecing it together here. So, Yeah, hurt people very, hurt people. And then there's Erebus, who's just a piece of shit. Yeah, Erebus is the conniving little nerd that oh. is the fault of everything. I just want to point out something. Erebus isn't even his actual name. Oh, correct, yeah. So, Erebus, we don't know what Erebus was called before. All we know is that when Erebus was a child, before he became a space marine, people were like, oh my god, shitty asshole. Oh, douche nozzle, you're such a douche. Why can't you be more like Erebus, you know? Erebus is a good boy, he does all his homework, he knows the- he- he does all of his readings for Chaos Seminary. Why can't you be more like Erebus? So he killed Er- so, um, Douche Nozzle killed Erebus and took his name. Yeah, he assumed his identity. <laughs> which is <laughs> fucking bonkers. Yeah, some yeah. people become awful because they're taught how to be awful by abusive people. Some people are just fucking awful because that's just who they are. Yeah, Brennan, Brennan Lee Mulligan talks about this a little bit, where he says, um, you know, these types of behavior exist outside of ideology, beyond yeah. ideology, before ideology. So before he says this, and I quote, uh, before you were a fascist, you were a bully, you were a piece of garbage, you know? Uh -huh. And... This is, I mean, this is Erebus. Erebus didn't have to be, Chaos didn't make Erebus. Yeah. Erebus was this way the entire mm -hmm. time. Yep. Erebus was a, was a piece of shit, a bully, a conniving little manipulator, just like Corferon was a piece of shit, annoying, bullying, fascist, uh, fascistic uh -huh. uh, bully, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, and th that exists outside of the Chaos, the, the monsters, the magic, yeah. the spaceship. Well, no. Corferon wanted Corferon wanted power. Exactly. He saw Lorgar as a means to an end. Because Correct. he saw Lorgar, a miracle child that was given to him by wastelanders. And right. think about how important it would be 
on a desert planet to be called Rainmaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you show yeah. up, if you if you live on a desert planet, you bring water with you. That's typically a sign, a good omen, a sign of good right. things. And Corfran was like, that one, that one is my meal ticket. I'm going to grab that shit and ride it until the wheels fall off. And exactly. so he killed Lorgar's technically adopted parents, took Lorgar in, and when Lorgar did not immediately yield the results Corfran wanted, he beat Corfran. He beat Lorgar. Yep. And so it was that Lorgar was made terrible. Lorgar became progressively worse because the only two people in his life, the closest voices to him, were a born piece of shit and a learn and a made piece of shit. Right. But yes. Yeah. Now, oh, by the way, since we're here talking about the Chaos Marine, talking about Chaos, what exact, because they mentioned in Lexicanum that the big thing that the word bearers did during the Siege of Terror was basically the summoning of Neverborn. Right. What are Neverborn? They're demons. Oh. They're not like demon space marines? Like no, demons no, in the shape of space marines? They're just demons. Neverborn is the more uh, removed terminology for the demons. Uh, uh, because... By calling, calling them, them demons. demons, you're associating them with a religious connotation. Uh-huh. So by calling them Neverborn, like the Emperor and si- the Sigilite do, uh, it takes away that sort of religious component. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is it like you can't call them demons because that makes them stronger because of the primordial fear? That feeds on it, yeah, sure. Right. Sure. Because you address them, because you associate those, mm-hmm. they, they, they bind and they become stronger for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. that, that that fatalistic fearing of something evil beyond uh, makes them stronger. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yep, so the Siege of Terror would go as we know it goes. The Traitor Legions would be kicked all the way back to the Eye of Terror. Um, Lorgar himself would would hole up on a world of Sycharis, Sycharis, um, where they uh, the word bearers would sort of construct a stronghold um, and they would pretty much hide out there. I mean, word bearers would join like the Black Legion and other word uh, prominent war bands. Um, Erebus is still alive, I believe. Still, yeah. I think he's working um, with Corferon, who is still alive. Um, in the Eye of Terror, being preachers, being you know religion, uh, religious proselytizers of the Chaos Undivided. Um, because it's very important to note that the word bearers didn't choose a chaos god, they worship chaos incarnate, uh, undivided, unseparated, all yeah. four chaos deities. Just like uh, the covenant, the old covenant of culture. Correct. Yep. And which is a nice echo of how things are and how they once will be again. Uh huh. Um, but I think that's pretty much all I have about the word bearers because they haven't done much in the, the recent canon. Um, they participate loosely in the Black Crusades. I, I know for a fact that Lorgar is currently hiding in the Eye of Terror in his stronghold because Corvus Corax became a shadow monster that is hunting him. Um, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that wanna, when we talk about Corax. I just want to acknowledge the funny fact that the fact that Corvus Corax was the one who basically beat the shit out of Lorgar. Mm-hmm. During the Shadow Crusade, yes, uh, during now, the Isfan Five, right? Yeah. During Isfan Five, and now Corvus Corax is doing that forever, and yeah. he's been doing it 
for so long, he's technically a demon now. Yeah, he is, uh, with, without a doubt, mutated yeah. by the warp. Yep. Uh, into a literal, like, nevermore bird shadow mm-hmm. demon. Yep. It's just, Lorgar is holed up in his giant, like, Satan, in his evil cathedral, meditating constantly. Because he knows that if he stops meditating and he goes outside, he's going to see a seven-foot-tall demon crow just yeah. staring at him through his window. Yep, which he does frequently. It's, yes. it's, it's the, the shadow uh, premonitions that Lorgar is prophetic with, mm-hmm. an, like, the quite literal definition. He sees things before they happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and he just knows that Korax is there watching mm-hmm. him. Yep. Uh, but the only thing I know of uh, the word bearers to date is that Lorgar is rumored now that Gilliman's awake and Lion is awake. Lorgar is rumored to have rejoined his legion mm-hmm. and is 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 rumored to have left the Eye of Terror. But we have no idea because we haven't gotten any new material about that. Yeah, yeah, we haven't. Also, um, the Lion is back. The Lion's back. Yeah. We- uh, yeah. <laughs> Lion's back. Shout I out to us for sh- shout calling out us this shit. for calling that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't read any of the lion material yet. Um, I will, and we'll talk about it in depth later because mm. we need to do a whole episode on the current state of everything. Yeah. Uh, in the forty-first millennium, outside yeah. of the the Horus Heresy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the lion's back. Space dwarves are back. Um, yeah. The fucking um, the Tau have a, a cool faction now. Yeah, the Tau yeah. have been expanded a little bit. Yeah, some of the t- there's actually like cool Tau now. Yeah, 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 the Tau are less aggravating to play against too. Long yes. Huh. I mean, I don't know about Tenth Edition. I fucking. Have I will give it rules for Tau and Tenth Edition. I assume. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. I will not read them for another six months because right. I want to see if they just come out with 11th, with 11th edition in <laughs> you know, three weeks like they have been doing I guess I didn't even I learned how to play 8th edition and then by the time I learned how to play 8th edition 10th edition came out yeah at some point are the rules still as cause you see dear viewers I do not play Warhammer tabletop I simply don't have that much money however Avery oh, don't worry. I don't either. Played. Avery has read. Avery has at least bought the rule books and has shown me various images of how weird the fucking tenth edition rules were, and how that was bad. ninth edition. Ninth oh, that edition was ninth was edition. That was ninth edition. Ninth edition was the one where it's like if you're within eight inches of concealment, but your enemy is within thirty-two inches of concealment, calculate the mass of the sun. Yeah, it was like, it was it was the most bizarre wording of rules I've ever seen in my life. And I played Dungeons and Dragons. I played Advanced D and played Second Edition Dungeons and Dragons. My God, and that, that was more that was more conceivable and understandable than uh-huh. than Ninth Edition Warhammer Forty K rules. Uh-huh. I have played through First Edition Path First and Second Edition Pathfinder. I have yeah. read so many goddamn tables for so many fucking things. Yeah. My god, that shit was ridiculous. And that was 9th edition? Yeah, that this was This whole back time, came, I was like, oh, yes, 10th edition. The current, yes, current edition of Warhammer. Which edition is it? 10th edition. You mean to tell me that 9th edition was received so poorly, they were like, we're gonna release a new version of this shit immediately. Pretty much, yeah. 9th edition couldn't have lasted more than 16 months. Wow. Which is 
ridiculous. Yeah, for fucking tabletop games? That's insane. Yeah. They haven't yeah, made new rules for Starfinder. Right, exactly. It's, it's, wow. <laughs> yeah. In conclusion, closing thoughts? Closing thoughts? Closing thoughts. Um, religion is scary, um, and the, the more engaged in it you are, and the more indoctrinated you become by it, uh, the more dangerous it is for your society and yourself. That's what I got. Gotcha. That's, that, that's what I pull from Lorgar's story. Gotcha. See, Don't beat your children. Yes. A, a constant lesson that most people must learn. Now, yeah. if I may wax philosophical once more. Of course. You see, from episode one, We've been talk comparing Space Marines to various flavors of Paladin. Yeah. I like that I'm bringing that metaphor back even though I don't sure. think we used it in the last couple of episodes. This feels... Paladins as a whole are an inherently like, you pick a god and you fight, you embody the values of that god and you fight for that god and you die for that god. Class. That's their class. They are holy warriors. And you would right. think that being a holy warrior would come with, you know, in in a lot of a lot of a lot of various things like showcasings of paladins. There's always the arc of the test of faith arc, where basically that paladin is forced to look at the morality of their god in a new light. The morality of their actions and taken by that god in a new light, which is how you get um, Oathbreakers. Oathbreakers being a DD paladin subclass and a general concept of paladins everywhere, where a paladin is forced to go against their oath in most cases, that's evil. In mm -hmm. Warhammer, where everyone's kind of evil anyway, you just kind of pick a different, kind of worse flavor, worse more immediately worse flavor of you where in the beginning in the beginning the word bears are very unabashedly the bad guys wherever they're going <laughs> because if you yeah. go if you see them um they'll they will speak to you as long as you don't say that you're we've been making various comparisons to the religions that we've grown up around you know different flavors of christianity and catholicism and such Right. We're gonna make one more. Imagine if Jehovah's this if the Jehovah's Witnesses came to your door and they knock on your door and they and, and you know they hit you with you know have you heard the good news about the Lord? If you say you're already religious, um, they pull out a shotgun and shoot you in the gut, <laughs> then proceed to breach and clear your house and then move next door. <laughs> That's what the word bearers were doing before. And after years and years of that, they don't really, they change their philosophy a little bit in that instead of just knocking on your door and asking you if you've heard the good news about chaos, they just breach and clear your house first. And then once they're already inside, then they ask you about chaos. Lorgar is a little different. We read in, like, there's a quote somewhere in here. Where is it? Something about Vorgar's personal temperament. Uh, here it is. Rabute Gilliman says, and I quote, he is so change so changeable. He's prone to extremes. Eager to please, so quick to take offense, 
he's keen to be your best friend, and at the slightest hint of an insult, he's angry with you. Furious. Offended. Like a child. And it makes sense. Because Lorgar spent his entire childhood living under Corferon, trying to please Corferon, trying to make him happy. Because to because Corferon wasn't just his father. Corferon was a prop was a high-ranking member of the church. And when those things intersect, they intersect hard. Because to displease Corferon was to displease the gods. Was to displease the I'm trying to think of a word other than vicar. The man who stands in the place of God on earth. Right. The speaker of the gods on earth is displeased with you because you didn't mop this floor well enough. And that's why he's beating you. It's really your fault. And you're really embarrassing the gods when you do this. And so that becomes Lorgar's character. Lorgar is mercurial. Just as the gods are. Just as the emperor was. Which is why it makes sense that he fell in line with 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 the Imperial Truth, with the, with the Covenant of Cultures, with Chaos, so easily. Because at the end of the day, he was built like he is at the end of the day. A, he, some people need a cause or a god or something to be devoted to. And that that's is Lorgar. That's scary. Yeah, that's that what's scary. Is, yes. Lorgar is like a child. And children, like it or not, need parents mm. and in the beginning it was Corferon and Corferon turned on him and then it was the Emperor and the Emperor turned on him even worse and so then he decided to cut out the middleman of Corferon and petition the gods themselves so that they could provide the stability in that he couldn't right. have in himself I don't want to be quick to call Lorgar a victim of his circumstance because he is all at the same time a very manipulative person on his yes. own but I don't know how much of that is just his circumstances making him into somebody he needs to be to survive well yeah hurt people hurt people hurt people hurt people so as it happens Lorgar had the power to hurt several hundred thousand planets worth of people yeah and, I mean, really, the ultimate irony of all of this is Lorgar's first book becomes the state religion of the Imperium. Oh no, it gets better. There are, I don't remember where it is, but there's an instance somewhere of basically Lorgar Lorgar basically interacting with a, soror with, a, with a sororita, a sister of battle. Yeah. Who, we'll get to them eventually, they deserve their own episode are the most devout faction in all of Warhammer, bar none. They read Lorgar's book more than he does. Right. And throughout the entire interaction, um, it was basically Lorgar looking at this normal, mortal human woman and going, I wrote this book. How dare you presume to preach to me out of my book that I wrote? I have the original copy right here. And the Sororitas 
the only response that Sorotas really gives is, see how good the Emperor is? If shitbags like you can write books about how great he is, think about how much greater the person who wrote this book is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Irony on irony. Ir that's Lorgar. That that's, is Lorgar. That is the word bearers. Join us next time when we discuss the Salamanders, your personal favorites. Yes! Yes! I have been reading the books! Finally! They have absolutely nothing to do with what we usually talk about on this show. That's but funny. I have been reading the books. I'm so happy. Like, see? We'll talk about how much I love the Salamanders. Yeah. And my yeah. personal wall of cool stuff that I made. Eventually. Whenever we do the Salamanders episode. <laughs> Yes. Well, join us next time when we cover Vulcan and his sons. Um, yeah, that was Lorgar. It's kind of sad and depressing, and there aren't many goofs in this episode, but hey, that's life. I mean, there were there were some goofs. Yeah. Right, Ave Imperator. Well, Ave Imperator.